0: And take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 2 Kings. The book of 2 Kings in chapter number 13. We welcome our friends online right now who are joining with us in this meeting of the Riverview Baptist Church. And we are glad that you are joining with us and praying that we could be an encouragement to you at this time. Of course, we've got strange times going on. But may I remind you that the Apostle Paul spent much of his ministry in quarantine. He spent a lot of time in house arrest. But you know that even though he was in house arrest and he could not leave his own house and he was under guard, they wouldn't let him leave. The work of God still went out and people were saved even though he was in that one location. Let me remind you that the work of God does not have to stop during this time. In fact, because the work of God is less dependent on us and more dependent on God, we can expect God to do wonderful things even when we are limited. What a wonderful God that we have. But for now if you don't mind. Take your copy of the word of God. And turn with me to the book of Second Kings. The book of Second Kings in chapter number 13. And we are on our final message. Of the life and ministry of Elijah and Elisha. In fact it is so final that both of those preachers are dead in this message. They are passed on. They are with God in glory. But yet, there's still something that remains. And so if you don't mind, take your copy of the word of God and turn with me first of all to the book of Second Kings chapter number 13. The book of Second Kings chapter 13. And notice with me in verse number 20. Second Kings chapter 13 and verse number 20, the word of God says this. And Elisha died and they buried him. And the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming in of the year. And it came to pass that as they were burying a man, that behold, they spied a band of men and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet." And with the Lord's help, I'd like to preach a message here on Elisha and his buried bones. Elisha and his buried bones. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And thank you that we have the privilege to gather together once again with your word. And we're asking that your word would speak in a special way. That it would encourage hearts. That it would revive our spirits, Lord, as we see this dead man still preaching, still teaching a message. And we could see that it is the Spirit of God that could move beyond our even lifetimes to still influence others. Help us to be determined to be usable by you. Help us to understand that we need to live for the next world. Rather than just live for today. I'm asking that you would fill me with your precious spirit. That you would settle me down inside of your will. Let me just trust you. And let you carry this through. That you would guide my steps. You would guide my thoughts. You would guide my lips. And that you would do something wonderful inside of this message in this meeting today and in Jesus name we pray amen we have here the story of Elisha and his buried bones Elisha and his buried bones the first thing I would like to bring to your attention is the dead preacher the dead preacher after 60 years in ministry Elisha died Sixty years of preaching, thus saith the Lord. Sixty years of training Bible college students. Sixty years of seeing miracles occur and being used of God. But when he died, it wasn't much of a funeral. He was pretty much placed into a hole in the ground. So here's Elisha the preacher They dug a hole. They didn't even bother to rebury it. They just threw his body in there. And after time, his body decayed. And all that was left with his bones. So the preacher died. And the enemies began to march right in. While a good preacher yet lives, there's spiritual warfare, but there's also victory. But when the preacher leaves... The enemies come in and there's no stopping them. So we have here the dead preacher. We have his bones in the hole in the ground. Which brings us to a second thing here. The dead revived. The dead revived. Notice with me if you don't mind in verse number 20. And Elisha died and they buried him. And the bands of Moabites, now the bands carry the idea here, it's a bunch of thugs that come from Moabite. And they invaded the land at the coming in of the year. So Elisha died, they buried him. As time went on, here is a roving band of thieves and and muggers. And they come in and they're, they're terrorizing the local landscape. And notice with me in verse number 21. And it came to pass, As they were burying a man, behold, they spied a band of men, and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. So here's this. A roving band of thugs went around, and they found a victim, and they mugged him, and then they killed him. And so they're getting ready. What do we do with the body? we got to hide the body. And so they're getting ready to dig a hole in the ground. And maybe they're digging where Elisha was at. And as they dig a hole in the ground. They happen to spot. Oh no. There's another band over there. There's some other people over there. We can't let them catch us. And so what they did is they just tossed the dead body into the hole in the ground. Let's just hurry up and get rid of the body. But an amazing thing happened. As they tossed the body into the grave. The fresh victim hit Elisha's bones. Notice with me in verse 21. And it came to pass as they were burying a man, behold, they spied a band of men, and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. Could you imagine what a scene that was? So these bunch of thugs go and mug a guy, kick him, kill him. They get ready to dispose of the body. Oh, there's some guys over there. We got to hide the body. What do we do? Hey, look, there's a hole right here. Let's toss them in. So they just drag the body in, toss them unceremoniously into the ground. The guy touches, just touches the dead bones of Elisha. And there happened to be enough power left in them that it revived the guy. So the guy's beat. He's killed. All of a sudden he's tossed in. He wakes up. In a grave. Could you imagine how disconcerting that would be? Not only that you were beat up and killed, but you wake up and you're surrounded by bones. He gets up and maybe looks at the hole in the ground and says, Guys, are you there? Maybe he heard the guys and was quiet. But whatever it was, what a strange scene that would be. To be dead. Touch these bones, and now you live again. You know, we know that Elijah had seven major miracles that was recorded in the Word of God. Elisha had prayed for a double portion of his spirit. And Elijah had told Elisha that he was going to get it. He was going to get his prayer answered. So if you're going to double seven, you're going to come up with 14. Up to this time, there were 13 major miracles that had passed. He didn't get his prayer answered. He was promised double. Well, he should get double. And so he died. But yet, God says, I still remember him. I made him a promise that we want to use him double. We're still waiting for number 14. And so they tossed this guy in. And he lived. Just touching the bones, there was still enough power from the Spirit of God to make this man live. What a powerful story. What a strange story. But you know, the Bible still has a message here. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews in chapter number 11. The book of Hebrews in chapter number 11. And I want to show you and spend the rest of our time in this last point the dead yet speak. The dead yet speak. Notice if you don't mind in the book of Hebrews chapter number 11. The book of Hebrews chapter number 11. And notice with me in verse number 4. Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse 4. By faith Abel, offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by which he ordained or obtained witness that he was righteous God testifying of his gifts and by it notice this phrase he being dead yet speaketh he being dead yet speaketh. In this passage here, it goes all the way back to the beginning, the book of Genesis, and it covers two brothers, Cain and Abel. And that Cain and Abel both came to God to worship God. Cain and Abel both gave God what they thought was their best. Abel gave God of Uh, A blood sacrifice. There was a lamb that was sacrificed unto God. And that's what God required. The Bible said. Without the shedding of blood. There is no remission of sin. And God had set it up as a picture. To remind us that because of our sin. Something must die. Now Cain gave his best. But his best was From the fruit of the ground. He was a farmer. And so he toiled and he worked. And he labored. And he took his best crops. And he gave them to the Lord. But God would not accept his sacrifice. You say why not? He gave his best. He could not because that's not what God asked for. And instead of Cain getting right. Instead of Cain saying you know what God you're right. I'm going to do it your way. Cain grew angry and he killed his brother. And he spilt his brother's blood on the ground. But yet even though Abel is dead. Notice this. He being dead yet speaketh. Do you know that the dead still have a message to say? The dead still have a message to speak. Here's Elisha. He's dead and yet. We're still having a message about him, about his bones. He's being dead, and yet God is still using his dead body to see miracles occur. The Bible gives this phrase here, that he being dead, yet speaketh. Do you understand? Everybody's message preaches, or everybody's life preaches a message. Everyone has a message that their life is telling. Now, some people's message is pretty unforgettable. Whenever you go to a um, a cemetery and you see the headstone, you would see the name of the person who died. Maybe underneath, maybe just a a word or two: faithful husband, uh, good daughter. And then you would see the year that they were born and the year that they died. And in between that is a little dash. And that's all our life is, is a little dash. And all that's left on that headstone there is the message of someone's life. A lot of it is blank. A lot of it had nothing to go. There's many people that when they die, other than some immediate friends and family, not a lot of people know about them, hear anything about them. They did little to influence the world. But God says that we can have such a life that's surrendered by him that it can still preach a message today and can still influence others even after we're dead. He being dead yet speaketh. You know, when we have a funeral, it's always amazing uh, to work and to see how different funerals go. And to try to gather information about the person who lived. And to to see if we could find something about their life to talk about. Something that people would remember. And so you get memories and whatnot. Preaching funerals is always interesting. Because there's a lot of people that do not have a life that have much to say afterwards. I've done tons of funerals within me being a pastor. The very first year I was a pastor, I did 11 funerals. And it just added since then. I remember doing a funeral once, and um, it was for a bunch of bikers. And so when I gave the, uh, (coughs) open up the Bible and encouraged people from the Bible, through it I would explain salvation. I explained that salvation is a gift. That in order to go to heaven, you don't have to go to church. In order to go to heaven, you don't have to pay money to the church. In order to go to heaven, you don't have to help little old ladies cross the street. And all of a sudden when I said that, the whole crowd laughed. Now I'm not used to the crowd laughing at that point. Why in the world would they laugh? Well, after the funeral, people came up to me and said, Preacher, oh, that was so funny. And so I said, well, tell me what was funny about it. And they said, this biker was so mean in his life that he would often brag that if he saw a little old lady crossing the street, he would run her over with a bike. And the whole crowd just knew. That was the testimony this guy had, is that he was such a mean, horrible guy That he wanted to run down old ladies in his funeral by accident. That was the message that spoke. That's how people remembered him by. He was the guy who was willing to run down little old ladies in his motorcycle. You understand everyone's life has a message. Everyone's life has something they're going to influence people with. Even after you're gone. There is a message to say. Now sometimes that message is forgotten, but it doesn't have to be forgotten. It doesn't have to be. It could be used to influence people even after you're gone. It could be used, your life could be so powerfully used of God that it could still bring people to Christ and people closer to Christ even after you're gone. The problem is today is so many people are concerned with the here and the now that they forget to think about eternity. They forget to think about their legacy. They fail to forget, uh, to remember that their life has the opportunity to draw people closer to Christ or push them farther away. He being dead, yet speaketh. God can still place his hand of endorsement upon a man even after that man is gone. We have a message that lives far after us. If you don't mind, may I give a couple illustrations of some people who lived whose life still draws people to Christ. Maybe one of them would be the Prince of Preachers himself, Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was the pastor of the London Metropolitan Tabernacle. He was used of God to train preachers and to... uh, lead many people to the Lord he trained people and he reached out to the entire London area it said that when he preached on Sunday morning three thousand people would take his Sunday morning message and preach it throughout the London metropolitan area every week even today, Charles Spurgeon died right at the turn of the century, of the 1900s. He died right before the uh, new century came upon uh, came upon the world. But yet today, Charles Spurgeon is the most purchased preacher today. If you go to a bookstore, a Christian bookstore, you could find a book of Charles Spurgeon. And Charles Spurgeon, he's been dead for a hundred years. And still outsells any living Christian author. He being dead, yet speaketh. His message still influences people today and draws them closer to Christ. Maybe I could give you another illustration. There was D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody who was known as a great soul winner. He wasn't a great orator. He had about an eighth grade education. When people heard him speak and they weren't right with God, all they could hear is how he mangled the English language. But yet he had the power of God upon him. And even with an eighth grade education, had such power that God used him in amazing ways. D.L. Moody had made it a purpose in his life that he was going to witness and give the entire gospel to one person every day of his life. And there were some days that he was busy. We all get busy. There was some times he would tell a story, or it was recounted, that he would be getting into his bed about uh, 11 o'clock at night. And as he got into the covers, he would all of a sudden wake up with a uh, start and said, I haven't witnessed to someone. And so he would immediately change clothes and start wandering the streets of Chicago until he found someone to witness to before he went to bed. He was known for that crazy soul winner. Even the newspapers sometimes would refer to him as crazy moody. But you understand, he had such an influence In 1893, the World's Fair was brought to Chicago, Illinois. It was to uh, celebrate the recovery of the great Chicago fire. And um, earlier... Uh, great fire had broke out and burnt down most of Chicago to the ground. And so this city had to rebuild. And in order to celebrate they rebuilt this city. They decided they were going to have the world's fair. Now the world's fair was something they had at the turn of the century. To try to show and off the new technologies. To show you the world of tomorrow. To show you all the things that were coming. And so they were building and preparing for the Chicago uh, Chicago's world fair. But D.L. Moody said, hmm, think about this. All the world is going to be coming to Chicago. They're all coming here. We have the opportunity to witness to them. And so six months before the World's Fair came, he said, let's set up prayer meetings. And let's pray That God can lead people to the Lord. Let's pray that we can reach all of these visitors. Visitors who are coming to Chicago. And they're coming here. And they don't know it yet. But they're coming to Chicago. That they can get led to the Lord. That they may know Christ. And for six months he led prayer meetings. For six months he prepared. And what do you think happened? What do you think happened after six months of laboring and prayer? Well, the World's Fair came. And not only did the World's Fair came, but D.L. Moody had set up tents all over Chicago. And it said that every week, 150,000 people came to these tents to get saved, to come through the revivals. Every week of the World's Fair, 150,000 people came. Came to these different tent revivals. So many people got saved. So many people after this. uh, Decided I'm going to go to church on Sunday. After I get saved. What's the first thing I need to do? I need to be in church on Sunday. Remember the world's fair is going on. So many people went to church on Sunday. That they had to close down the world's fair on Sunday. Because everyone was in church. He being dead. Yet speak it. You understand God can use it. How many people got saved because one guy said, we're going to have a prayer meeting for the purpose of leading these people to the Lord. Look at what's coming here. Let's see them and look at what God did. Can you imagine so many get people getting saved in the Green Bay area that nobody would show up to the Packers games? Could you imagine such a thing? That, I'm sorry, Packers can't play on Sunday because everyone's in church. You said that can't happen. What did it in Chicago for the World's Fair where millions of people came? And there wasn't enough people to keep the Chicago Fair open on Sundays because they were all in church because of D.L. Moody leading the campaign. He being dead yet speaketh. Think of David Brainerd. David Brainerd who was a missionary to the American Indians when New York was still considered a wilderness. Before our country was even a country when it was still in the colonies, David Brainerd went out and he went to try to reach the Indians. And during that time, he wrote a journal. David Brainerd died at 29 years old. But yet, his journal is still a powerful read about how to get a hold of God and pray. And he wasn't writing it for anyone else. It was just his personal journal. The the journal of David Brainer. is still passed out to people. To say here learn how to pray. Here's someone who learned how to get a hold of God. And he died and he wasn't even 30 yet. He being dead yet speaketh. Let's think of other people. In World War II before we entered World War II, the Japanese had decided they were going to make a sneak attack on Pearl Harbor. And the leader of the Japanese, um, <laughs> the Japanese planes here <laughs> was by the name of Fushida. Fushida. Now, Fushida was in charge of the Japanese planes. He was the one who led the attack on Pearl Harbor and he got away safely. Later on, as America had surrendered, or sorry, as, a, as Japanese had surrendered to America, they were going to have war trials, uh, war crime trials against the Japanese people. And so they asked Fushida, the, uh, General MacArthur had asked Fushida, to come and testify what he had saw concerning the treatment of the Japanese soldiers and of the American soldiers, to do a comparison, so what happened is that fashida said, "You know what i 'm going to do is i 'm so convinced that there were war crimes. he knew how the Japanese treated those prisoner wars that he said i 'm going to investigate the American prisoner war camps, and I want to see how they treated the Japanese because surely the Americans tr- treated the Japanese as poorly." As the Japanese treated the American soldiers, and so while he was there, he happened to run into a friend of his uh, fel- uh, um, a fellow sail- uh, sailor and a good friend who happened to be a prisoner of war uh, <coughs> he was kept captive by the Americans, and so we began to catch up with him and say, "How do the Americans treat you?" And he said, "They treated me very well, especially a young girl." By the name of Peggy Covell. And she not only cared for the Japanese. Not only with respect. But like a sister taking care of a relative. And Fashida said that's interesting. Tell me more. And he says what's really interesting about this girl. Is that sh- her parents were missionaries. In the Philist- in the Philippine Islands. And her parents were killed by the Japanese. So here's a young girl. Her parents were were missionaries to the Philippines. When the Japanese came, the Japanese were going to kill the the parents. The parents said, before you kill us, will you give us 30 minutes of prayer? And as the missionaries were praying, the Japanese killed the missionaries on their knees. Fushidas could not understand What were these people praying for? What were they praying for? And why would their Christian God allow them to die if they truly believed that their God was going to do something? What they did not realize is that the Japanese missionaries or these missionaries praying for them were praying for the Japanese soldiers that they would get saved. The little girl was spared. And as a young teenager, she treated and took care of the Japanese prisoner of war With the purpose of trying to influence them for Christ. Well Fashida was so frustrated. He could not understand why a Christian God would allow them to die. Will it just so happen that he ran and doing investigations? He ran into Jacob de Schaesler, one of the duly little raiders who had uh, carrier-launched B-52s that bombed Japan in 1942. When de Schaesler's plane la- uh, crash-landed in, in China, the Japanese soldiers killed the rest of his crew, but somehow de Schaesler was saved. And after his capture, DeShazler was repeatedly tortured and witnessed the execution of his crew members who died of malnutrition. Like Fashida, DeShazler couldn't understand why his life was spared among so much death. Then a friend lent him a Bible, and DeShazer ate the Bible up and just could not read enough of it. And it was there learning about the life of Christ. And how Christ forgave his enemies. That the became a Christian himself. And said I'm going to dedicate my life being a missionary to those same people. Who tortured and killed my friends. The same people who, who tortured me. Well when he ran into Fashida. Fashida went and interviewed him. And he gave his testimony. Fashida said I want to know that same God too. Who has forgiveness for his enemies. And the same man who led the raids, the surprise attack on Pearl Harbor, became an evangelist back to his own people. And then through the United States and Europe, telling everyone that there's a God who can forgive. And he spent the rest of his life telling people, including his own countrymen, that God is real. He being dead, yet speaketh. Oh, there are so many examples, so many people we could use. One of my great heroes, one of the people who influenced me, was Dr. Curtis Hudson. Dr. Curtis Hudson died of cancer in 1995, but yet his ministry influenced me such uh, to a large degree. Dr. Curtis Hudson was pastoring a small, small church in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, he would always wonder, how come the church that he pastored, how come it wasn't getting big? How come they weren't having revival? He happened to have a friend of his um, who was um, uh, a deacon in another church, Baptist church across town. At this time, Dr. Curtis Hudson was a mail truck driver. And so he would always stop by his friend's house to deliver the mail and say, How was church on Sunday? And this friend said, "Woo! let me tell you, people got saved, people got baptized. Oh, it was wonderful. Dr. Curtis Hudson said, I have to admit that what I wanted to hear is that everything was horrible. Nobody gave, nobody came. And he wanted to hear that they were doing as bad as he was. And so he said he would hear that and get so mad that he would take his mail truck and try to drive over a cat or something. Just take his frustrations out. Well, it just so happens that the sword of the Lord came by and while he was at the Sword of the Lord meeting, he said, he, he took a class on how to win people to the Lord. And after taking that class, he said, I want to do that for the rest of my life. And so he said, I'm going to put it to the test. He said, I didn't think it would work, but I took the notes and what they took me. And so I went and knocked on someone's door and they said, come on in. And so I came in and, he said, well, I want to tell you something about how to know Jesus is your Savior. And they said, okay, tell us. Okay, so he grabbed his notes and began to say that number one, that you're a sinner. Because, number two, because of your sin, you've offended a holy righteous God. Number three, that Jesus uh, died for you. And that you must personally accept Christ as your Savior. And he says, what do you say? He says, can we accept now? Okay, let's do that. And the whole family bowed his head and accepted Christ. Dr. Curtis Hudson walked out. He's not a doctor yet. Walked out and said, Lord, I want to do that for the rest of my life. And he quit his mail truck driving so he could pastor full time and lead people to the Lord. He said there was rough times and times that tried. He told his wife, that he said, don't you tell anybody that if we don't have enough food, don't you uh, tell Satan, I want Satan to think that we died fasting for our nation. Instead of saying that we didn't have enough groceries. But what happened is that Forest Hills Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, became the fastest growing church in the Georgia area for year after year after year. Just because he de- dedicated his life to tell people about the Lord. He's the one who encouraged me and taught me about soul winning. In fact, even today, uh, his messages are so country homespun that anyone can understand his illustrations. He talks about that um, given illustration that if you ever had a nail that needed to be put in the wall, sometimes you don't have time to look for a hammer. You just look for whatever tools available. And that God will use whatever's available sometimes to drive that home. Are you available? Well, people can understand that. Everybody's taken a shoe at one time or another and hammered in something in a wall just because you couldn't have a tool nearby. Even today, when I want encouragement about prayer, when I want encouragement about soul winning, I still go to Dr. Curtis Hudson's tapes. And I still listen to them. I still have some old cassette tapes. And I put them in and listen to them. And just to encourage me and to fire me up. Because he's still... Is a blessing. And he's taught many, many, many hundreds of people how to tell people about Jesus, how to lead him to the Lord, and how to be excited about it and look forward to it, and to dedicate your life doing that very same thing. He that be, he being dead, yet speaketh. You know, some people may listen and say, well, that sounds great for preachers, but what about me? Well, there happened to be another dare man in my life. He was in a church that I pastored before. He had come to know Christ as his Savior many years earlier, but had never got discipled. And so church was kind of ho-hum to him, and he would show up every now and again with his wife. But I remember sitting with him and, talking to him about things of the Lord and all of a sudden he said light bulbs went on all of a sudden I understood what the preacher was saying he was so excited about church that he would take a song book and as we're singing the hymn it was like he was singing it for the first time and he would look at it and then he would wait for me after the service with the open hymn book and said this is what God taught me today I didn't know that was true and he was so excited about that This is a man who ended up just loving the Lord and loving me and my family that we went through some times and some trials that we had to trust the Lord and he was the one that encouraged us. In his memorial, it was such an important thing to me because he did so much in our life. He being dead, yet speaketh, I still think about him. I still miss him. I still think about how... I'm the pastor that I am today because of the influence that he showed as he just surrendered himself and grew in the Lord and was excited about the things of the Lord. He being dead, yet speaketh. You understand everyone's life has a message. Unfortunately, some people's life, is, the message is not very memorable. But as you surrender yourself to God, and you put yourself at God's disposal, you make yourself available, God can use you by His Spirit. And Remember, it is God's Spirit that does it, not you. You just make yourself available. But God can use you that your life can still influence people to Christ. How many people that said, the reason why I'm in church is because I had a godly grandmother who prayed for me. The reason why I'm the person I am today is because I had a godly mother who just invested in me and made sure that I did what was right. He being dead yet speaketh. Who are you influencing for tomorrow? Who are you encouraging to follow after the Lord? Do you have a type of life where others can say that life encouraged me to follow God? He being dead yet speaketh. Every single one of us can have a life that is drawing people to Jesus Christ, even after we're dead. Maybe you have heard of the circuit riding preacher by the name of Robert Sheffey. Robert Sheffey traveled the circuit, ran a campground, did a lot during the 1800s. In his early part of his ministry, he. Was having a tent revival. And a young rich aristocrat lady came down. And she was trying to spy on the services without anybody seeing her. And he happened to notice her. And try to talk to her about the things of the Lord. And she said listen I am vibrant and alive. And so she goes I will give you this red rose. To show that I am going to live my life. And I am going to do this. You are going to have to get the white rose of surrender from someone else. And every year when they would have the camp meeting, she would send a red rose to um, Robert Sheffy, just to say that she still remembered the message, but she hasn't surrendered yet. She didn't get saved. It wasn't until his funeral that she showed up and she placed the white flower that she had gotten saved. He being dead yet speaketh. You understand, we should not be just living for the now. We should be living for eternity, knowing that our life teaches a message and that people are watching our lives. They're watching our message and that our message is either going to draw people closer to the Lord or send them further away. He being dead, yet speaketh. five three zero six three oh eight once again that number is nine two zero five three oh six three oh eight if there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you please let us know we would love to make ourselves available thank you